three, two, one. John, are we live? We are live. Awesome. Hey, guys. Welcome to our second live wheelhouse show. I'm super excited about today's show. I got two guys on the show today that after about 10 minutes of chatting with them on the phone, I was motivated. I learned a ton of stuff, so can't wait for the show today. Um, I'm going to move this a little that way, so... You got it, John? Does that look good? good? John's giving me some direction from the back. It's a good time to introduce John. John Lally is your producer and director of the show. John, can they see you? Hello, everybody. John, John's in that corner. John, your backdrop's actually kind of cooler than mine because you have all the brick behind you. I have one. I've got the exposed TV. brick. I've got a little bit of a wall. We're going to put up some art soon. Yeah, uh, it's a bare a studio bit. still. But uh, John has this little, uh, like, uh, it's like a little... Roman soldier. Did you buy that? I do. Had? No, yeah. he. It's on hold. He's going to make his debut uh, next week, I think. Sweet. Um, thank you guys for uh, all the support from last week. I got a lot of messages. Um, people were motivated by Cotter and Lawrence, and uh, we got so much awesome feedback. So uh, keep it coming. Keep liking our page. Like us on Facebook. Like us on um, Instagram. John, are we on YouTube yet? We will be soon. YouTube soon. Uh, we will be on iTunes soon as well. So we're Facebook Live today. We're going to end up uh, putting this stuff on YouTube as well. Please, please share us. The more followers we get, the more influence we can have on people, the more we can teach people. Today's first guest is a entrepreneur that has been successful not just in one venture, but in a bunch of different ventures. And I said it last week on the show, there's a trend where when somebody's successful once, they're typically successful multiple times over being entrepreneurs. So that trend is uh, really interesting to me, and it's something I think we're going to learn a lot about today. He's also a passionate guy about charity work, um, about Chicago in general. We were just chatting before we came on. He's a uh, Chicagoland native, went to Stevenson. So I'm going to introduce Michael Schultz. Michael, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, so you are a kind of Chicago native, right? Northern suburb native like I am. Yeah, I grew up in the, in the northern burbs. My wife, uh, Sarah, and I lived in Lincoln Park. My wife was a, a CPS teacher for many years. Cool. I uh, had our three daughters in, in Chicago and, and just recently uh, moved out uh, to Deerfield. Awesome. How recent? Uh, within the last year and a half. Okay, so I've been out in the suburbs the last year and we we're talking about that a little bit i was it was a tough adjustment how about for you uh you know i think it's easier having the three kids and the dog moving out there but uh you know i i am I'm, I'm everything we talk we'll talk a little bit more about the companies and everything i do is to provide more opportunity for for my children and, and for my family so um it's been a great move for them um and it's nice i go home it feels like i'm on vacation it's great and uh, so so far so good Awesome. Except for the commute back in the city, if you're leaving at nine o'clock or eight o'clock, or then again at five p.m. Yeah, that's you know, it's it's coming home with three daughters and a wife, where I'm not allowed to talk in my house. That's more <laughs> stressful than the commute. But uh, yeah, so, so the, the commute's great. You know, it gives me a little time to decompress and make calls and and uh, and and get ready to to go from. Uh, um, from my day job to, to my very important job of being daddy, and, uh, and that's the best. Awesome. So tell me about Coffee and Tea Bar Holdings. Yeah, so Coffee and Tea Bar Holdings, um, our latest venture, we, we launched uh, a little over a year ago. Um, Coffee and Tea Bar Holdings owns two companies. We've got a, a retail concept 
called Fairgrounds Coffee and Tea, um, which we opened the, the first location in Bucktown, uh, Milwaukee North and Damon. We've got another location uh, Michigan Avenue um, at the entrance of, of Chicago Athletic Association Hotel. Um, and we've got new locations opening in the next month in Minneapolis and downtown LA. Awesome. Uh, and, and some new exciting uh, Chicago locations coming. Uh, so we, we, uh, we're, we're thrilled with our, our retail concept fairgrounds and it's been a great success so far. Um, we own another company, Infuse Hospitality. And, and Infuse Hospitality um, creates and, and operates best in class um, food and beverage experiences um, in a couple different settings. We do um, in offices in an effort to um, attract and retain millennial talent, shift culture, and, and create a sense of community. Um, so companies like um, ConAgra's headquarters, JLL's headquarters, MasterCard's headquarters, um, and, and companies ranging uh, for, from um, tech-based to, to more traditional businesses that, that are really all trying to accomplish the same thing in, in today's uh, day and age of, uh, of the millennial. Um, and then we do that same kind of thing um, in the base of large buildings or tenant floors or in traditional retail. So our, 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 our client equity office who, who, operates, uh, who, who operates properties around the world, um, we do cafes and, and food and beverage concepts for them. So this Friday we've got um, a very large bar and, and two cafes opening at Willis Tower, and um, we we operate these all around the country. So in the last 14 months, we're at about 45, uh, and within a, about a month or so, we'll be at, at 50 cafes and a goal of being at about 100 uh, mid to end of 2019. Holy smokes. I thought I was one of the busiest guys in the world. You are way busier than I am. How do you find the time? So you got a lot of different ventures, which is awesome. And I find that I sometimes struggle with good time management. So I have difficulty, and I think a lot of um, our viewers probably have the same difficulty when they go from owning one business and directing 100% of their attention on one thing to trying to be present 100% of the time in multiple things. How have you found the time to kind of time manage and give attention to each different thing you're doing? Yeah, you know, the, the, really the, the objective in, in creating these organizations, um, the driving force of that was having a, a culture that fuels entrepreneurial spirit uh, and balance. And, and so, you know, we, we've got an amazing team of individuals. My job is to be the cheerleader. And um, I, I started these companies because I wanted to give others the opportunity that I didn't have and to create an environment in which they can thrive. Um, you know, so we really every day the, the objective isn't, you know, we're driving to, to this valuation and this is the runway and this is the exit. You know, we're, we're trying to have an impact on the community. We're having, trying to have an impact on, on our people um, and, and, and give them balance in their life and give them opportunities. And, and so the driving force is, is really to impact people's lives and impact communities. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that is really um, integrated into to the culture of both organizations is is that word balance um, you know so in, in my in my job you know of, of traveling around the country and meeting with our people and uh, it, it's really 
checking in on the state of the culture of the organization. So while there's a million different things that, that happen throughout the day, um, I'm, I'm pretty focused on, on that north star of, of what's the most important thing, and the most important thing is our people. Um, and if they're enjoying themselves and, and they're treated well and, and vested in what we're doing, that gets passed through to our clients and, and our guests and everybody else. So, um, you know, we've got different practices, whether it's taking a break and reading or going on a walk. You know, I, I really feel like organizations that are constantly driving their, their people to produce will never achieve great success. And when you have balance in your career and your personal life and your, your health, you can achieve great things. So um, we try to help teach others balance and, and what's important. Um, and we focus on, on those things. And, and so that's how, how we, can, we can do so much is because we're, we're trying to do the right things for the right reason. I love that. Um, you touched on so many different things. I mean, doing the right things for the right reason, having the right team together. And then obviously, like you said, you're the cheerleader of the team, but making sure the team is happy and happy people produce better organically instead of like, you know, person who rules with an iron fist and just people don't want to work for that sort of person. So that's awesome. When did you first become an entrepreneur? Is it something you always wanted to do or was it something you kind of fell into over time? You know, I started very, very young um, working in restaurants, washing dishes and, and working my way through and um, worked for different organizations and became an executive and was running around. And um, it, it was really, uh, I guess the best way to, to put it is uh, when I found out that, that my wife w was about to have our, our first child, I had, if you will, a little freak out uh, and really started thinking about the the bigger picture of things because you get so ingrained in, in the daily details that you oftentimes don't step back and, and look at what's important. Um, and, and that event really made me stop and look at what was important. And I figured out that at the end of the day, no one counts your things. They don't care. How, looking back on, on your last breath, you're not thinking about your houses and your cars and everything else. And here I had. Um, you know, my, my, what's now uh, Sadie, my, my oldest daughter, coming into this world and really got me thinking, you know, what are people going to say about me when I'm gone? Um, and that my mission should be to create a better life and, and opportunity for my children, but leave an impact in the world where when I'm gone, maybe somebody comes and says something nice to one of my daughters and they say, you know, your daddy gave me an opportunity or, or did something different. And, and so it, 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 uh, it, it was that event that made me reflect on what was important to me. Um, and, and growing up, we, we, uh, we, we were in a, a wealthy community, but we didn't have much. Um, so that was easy. I wasn't afraid of being poor. Uh, and, and so what was the worst case scenario? I was about to have a healthy child. I, had a, I, I have a wife that, that actually puts up with me and, right. and, and loves me. Perspective. Um, it, it was perspective. So I, I took everything that I didn't like about organizations and, and I thought the cultures were backwards and things were done backwards. And, and I thought that having my own company would give me an opportunity to make things different for others. And through my career, I, you know, I was working 80, 90, 100, 100 hour weeks and I was afraid to ask for time off and I missed so many important things in, in my family's lives and, and in my personal life that I gave up to prove to my employers that I deserved an opportunity and, and I didn't think that was right. Um, so I really wanted to, to start organizations that 
understood that there's nothing more important than family. We're dealing with people. We're having an impact on people's lives. Um, and that everybody who, who works for us is someone's child, it's someone's daughter, it's someone's son, it's someone's mother, father, brother, cousin. Um, and, and, and so um, that was my aha moment. Um, you know, about a week before my daughter w was born, uh, it was my wife's last ultrasound. And, and um, I, of course, had meetings and was too busy and couldn't be there and couldn't be there for this. And I had my important job and, yeah. and I had to go and do that. And, um, you know, she came out of her, her ultrasound at Prentice and I was there and she, she says, you know, what are you doing here? I thought, I thought you had a meeting. I said, I've got great news. I'm quitting my job tomorrow. <laughs> she probably and, and freaked my, out. My wife, who's from Minnesota, who may be the nicest, she, she, she's a, a Jewish saint, whatever the, the word may be for that, literally nicest person on the earth. Everywhere we went to eat was the greatest thing she ever had eaten. Everyone she met was the nicest person she ever met. Turns to me and goes, you know, what the, are you talking about? We just bought a new house. I'm about to have a child. You're not quitting anything. And, uh, and I, I told her, look, you know, like I, I, the, last, the last six months or so, there's been something off. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was depressed. You know, here I have great success in my career and things are going good, but I didn't feel any kind of sense of completion. I said, I have to do this because if I look back and think about what could have been, what may have been, I'm not okay with that. And if I do this and I fail, it's okay because what's important is still there and I'll just start over again. Um, so the, the timing may not have been the best, but you know what? What I've learned in, in, in life is that it's never the perfect time. There, right. It's never, uh, you never have enough money. You never have the, the perfect timing. It's never, whether it's having a family, starting a career, launching a, a business, making a change, you, you got to step back and, and look on, on what's important. And, and so I, I had enough, I had enough belief in myself to take that leap of faith. And, and really that's when I talk with, with aspiring entrepreneurs and, and young leaders, aside from leadership and, and culture and, 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 and the nuts and bolts of, of everything, I tell them, look, you, you have to, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. And you have to be willing to take that leap of faith. And at the end of the day, you know, God would, at least in my business, you know, probably no one's going to die. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, we don't take it that seriously and you got to have fun. And, and so that's, that's kind of the, the, how I launched my, my first uh, entrepreneurial effort. Well, that's incredible and brave. I can imagine your wife was freaking out when you told her. She's still freaking out. Still freaking out. <laughs> I bet you're still freaking out from time to time. You know, it's, that's the one thing I always, I tell people who are like, hey, I want to open my own business. And you kind of touched on it a little bit. You knew there was a chance of failure. And I'm going to talk to our other guest a little more about failure too, because I know he, he coaches on it a lot um, and overcoming you know, failure or not being too afraid of failure, but you knew it was a possibility, but you didn't let that stop you. You're like, Hey, I might fail at this, but what's the worst that happens if I fail? I just got to restart. Right. So I think that's a big piece, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, they can't get over the, well, if I fail, you know, family members are going to say, Oh, he tried and he failed. Or my friends are, especially now in a social media environment, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to look bad to people if I fail. But I think, you know, obviously you did it at a very risky time, but you must've also felt like, Holy smokes, if I fail, I'll just go back to doing what I was doing or do something else. The, um, the, the greatest thing 
to me about being an entrepreneur is that I, I have the ability to impact other people's lives. It was never about me. And I'll tell you that, that even now, every night before I go to sleep, it scares the heck out of me that, that I'm responsible for people feeding their families. And that's the same thing yeah. that makes me jump out of bed in the morning. And, and you know, I, I get to travel around. I love what I do. You know, our, our objective for our, for our organizations is that our team members get to do what they love and love what they do. And, and when that's the scenario, success is a byproduct of fulfilling your passion. Um, you know, so the, it was never about me. Um, there's people who have invested in my organizations, and, and I, I care more about their money than me. Um, yeah. I care more about my employees and their families and my responsibility to, to, to that I take extremely seriously. Um, but yeah, for, for me, you know, lo losing money or losing time, I, I would rather give a best effort and say, you know what, I, I gave my best and it didn't work out because of this or, or that and the other. And you take that data and you go back to the drawing, drawing board and you come up with a better strategy. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's, um, you look at what's important in life and, and you got to be able to overcome that fear and, and you have to believe um, and then it's just about having a, a good plan and, and, and blocking and tackling and executing that strategy. Love it. If you had to give a tip to somebody, I asked this last week just kind of on the whim, and a couple people messaged me and said they love the answer, so I think I might just go with it going forward. If you had to give a tip or tips to somebody who is either getting ready to be an entrepreneur or is an entrepreneur and isn't obviously as successful as you are, give shoot them a tip, something, something you think helped you, maybe a... Uh, a quality or um, something you overcame that may have helped you become as successful as you are? I would say find a great mentor. Um, you know, it's something that I didn't do when I was starting out. And a lot of the things that I learned, I, I learned by failing, spending too much money, you know, things that, that I learned the hard way that I didn't have to. And, and when I'm mentoring young entrepreneurs, there's lessons that I share with them, whether it's how to organize things and, and what to do first and different strategies or um, the, the legal aspect of it and, and where you want to invest your money and how to reduce risk and, and identify liabilities. I think the most important thing that you can do is learn from others who have been successful. And I'll tell you that some of the greatest things that I've learned in, in my career is what not to do, whether it was things that, that, uh, that I failed or in observing others. There were so many people that I observed that I worked for, um, whether it was large organizations or independently owned businesses, that some of the things that, that I saw was what not to do and, and being perceptive uh, enough and taking that, that information has been super powerful in, in me making decisions and planning and, and um, sharing stories with our leadership team and, and, and really um, providing them data. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I really, the, the, the way that we run our, our businesses, I'm a tool just like your phone may be. I give everybody as much data as I can. And unless they're about to blow up the, the science lab, I let them make decisions. Um, and, and sometimes I, I know that it's not the right decision, but it's a great way for them to learn. Um, and, and so I, I think being watching and learning and getting as much data as you can and surrounding yourself with, with great mentors that can help advise you. And, and you know, sometimes you've got to give up a little bit of equity in, in your organization to do so. And, and in, in, in the right scenario, I think that's money well spent. 
I love that. You are the third of three people who really gave that as one of their tips. Um, and I think I've failed at that. I, I've had great mentors. I've looked up to people. My father's been a great business mentor of mine, but I've kind of walked away from that. I read a lot. So I read a ton now. I listen to Audible and I try to watch and learn from successful people because the path to success, I always say, is out there. You just have to learn it. And you're going to do some creative stuff along the way, but the consistency and learning what you got to do to be successful and then implementing it consistently is so important. And recently, I just haven't had somebody to sit down and bounce ideas off of with. And I spoke to uh, Ed, and I'm going to introduce him in a second, on the phone, and he was mimicking very similar thoughts. And Lawrence and Ryan did last week, too. So uh, I guess for the viewers, I'm looking for a mentor, and I'm going to be talking to uh, people about helping kind of self-improve my own business, too. I love that tip. But before we introduce our next guest, I know you're very passionate about giving back, not just in your own organization and to people who work with you, but we had spoke on the phone, and you said you were passionate about some charities and giving back. Anything you want to talk about on that front, too? Thank you. You know, it's really a driving force of, of what we do, and, and um, success should give you the opportunity to be able to give back and, and impact the community. And, and if our businesses are, are truly successful, we should be able to do that. And, and it really is a driving force that, that uh, you know, when we open our businesses, we launch with that and try to give our team that opportunity. Um, you know, recently I, I've partnered um, with Miguel and Kelly Cervantes. Miguel plays Hamilton in the Chicago production of Hamilton. Um, Miguel and, and Kelly's uh, they they have a son Jackson and daughter Adelaide and their daughter Adelaide um, has a, a very rare form um, a, a, of epilepsy and um, a, a mutual friend of ours a very dear friend of mine John Harris uh, introduced Miguel and I and, and Miguel and, and Kelly shared their story and, and Kelly was about a minute in and, and I, I was crying you know I'm, I, I'm I, at the end of the day. I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm a daddy to, to three little girls. Um, and, and that's what's important. And, and when they shared their story with me, I wanted to help. It, it had nothing to do with, with who they are. They, they were parents, and, and as a parent, I, I can't imagine. And, and so this difficult hurdle that they have, they, they have taken that. And, and, and I gotta tell you, Miguel and Kelly are, are real life heroes. They struggle with this every day. You know, Miguel tells the story. He, he was auditioning um, in, in New York, and, and uh, Lin-Manuel is there, and producers are in the room, and this is the biggest shot he's ever had in, in his career at, at, at auditioning for this part of Hamilton. And at the same time, he found out about his daughter, Adelaide. And so his, his journey uh, with Hamilton started at the same time as their journey with epilepsy, and, and they've taken... Um, that obstacle, and they've turned it into a very powerful mission to, to get the word out. Um, they've partnered with an organization here in, in Chicago called Cure, um, and and they're they're attacking uh, epilepsy head on. So uh, I said, I, 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 how can I help? I'll help in any way. And what we did is, is we created a, a new Fairgrounds um, brand of coffee. It's called Adelaide's Blend, named after Miguel and Kelly's daughter. Uh, we created created the bag together, and and uh, and we launched this just last week. Um, we had a, a meet and greet with Miguel at, at Fairgrounds in Bucktown. Miguel surprised everybody playing an acoustic set, um, and we're we're selling this uh, not only in the stores but but online uh, and at, at our Infuse locations as well. So um, we're 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 trying to raise awareness. It's a super important cause. 
um, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just a, a daddy helping another daddy, and, and we're going to do everything that we can until there's a cure. I love that. A, it's an incredible, incredible story, very touching, and I, I love that you give back. It's, it's something I think that when you're successful, you have to do. I don't think there is a gray area where I'll kind of give back when I'm more successful. I think if you're blessed enough to be as successful as, as you have been or I have been or you know Ed has been, I think it, it, it's a must. You have to give back. Is there anything, any place we can go online? So if people are viewing this and hopefully this thing blows up sooner or later, any place people can go online to order the coffee? Yeah, I think if they, if they check out Fairgrounds Coffee and Tea on, on Facebook or Instagram, there's links to different sites that you can order online. Um, there's a contest now. You can win a, a VIP experience and, and tickets to Hamilton. Which everybody uh, loves. So go into the stores and, and take a picture of your Adelaide's Blend Coffee. 20% of the sales of, of all of that coffee gets donated back to The Cure. Post your pictures online, enter a contest to, to win VIP tickets to Hamilton, and, and more importantly, get, get the word out. And, and yes, when you're successful, you should give back. Even when you're not successful, you, you have give to give back. back. You know, be, when, uh, literally, the first thing that, that we did when we launched our, all of our organizations is find a way to immediately give back. And so whether you have or, or you don't have, we have to give back, and that's yeah. what's important in life. And we're going to do everything that, that we can. Um, the Cervantes are not the only family that, that's dealing with this, and we do everything we can to help every child and, and every family that we can. I love that. Thank you so much. And viewers, please go to Fairgrounds. Buy the coffee, take the photos. Uh, that's awesome. I appreciate that you do that, and I appreciate that you give back. I, I know there's a lot of successful people, and people who aren't successful that don't give back. And you're, you're right. It's not just successful people. Everybody who can give back should give something back. Um, it's, uh, it's great to hear, and it's also refreshing to hear. So thank you. Thank you. Um, our next guest, Ed is a business coach and he specializes in empowering ambitious people um, and teams to think and ec execute at an elite level. He's got an awesome background. He also happens to be in, are you still a college basketball coach? No, he was a college basketball coach. My, we were talking my college basketball, not my college basketball, my basketball career ended in eighth grade when I stopped growing. So I stopped playing in seventh, early eighth grade. Um, Ed has an incredible background and I love your um, viewpoint on athletics and business and how they kind of uh, blend together. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell us, uh, how did you become a business coach? Give us your background. Well, first of all, I want to, let's just stop this right now. I want to go work for Michael. Yeah. That was unbelievable. I mean, that was, it was fantastic. Um, how did I uh, get into what I'm doing now? Well, my background when I graduated from college, I went into college basketball coaching and I did that for six years and I was at Texas A&M and we got we ended up getting let go. Our head coach got fired. So uh, at the time, I was 28. I was young. I was dumb. I was you know, a little bit on the selfish and self-centered side. I thought, I'm going to move back to Chicago and get into the business world. And I went into the, to the mortgage business. And that was the first time I realized I'd always grew up with the, the belief that athletics was a microcosm of life. And for basketball specifically, I believe that it was a frame of mind game. And it started to dawn on me how relevant that was in the business world that business itself 
uh, was a frame of mind game. And we were so busy, like Michael was saying, we were so busy chasing metrics and chasing numbers and, and, and trying to meet quota and, and trying to um, get new leads and create relationships. We sort of, I forgot the purpose behind what I was doing and how I was doing it. And that's when it first dawned on me. So I bounced back and forth between business and coaching and went you know, back into coaching, got out of coaching, went back into coaching. Uh, and then I met my wife. And I spent seven and a half years in the recruiting industry uh, prior to launching the Molitor Group, where we were placing former exiting retired military jobs throughout the country, and I loved it. Um, it was a blast. Um, but I always had something um, tugging at me um, because, like Michael was talking about, I really truly believe it's you know your resume virtues versus your eulogy virtues. And I didn't really think I did a great job focusing on my eulogy virtues for a long time. And I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to make an impact. And one of the big, you know, aha moments I had when the light bulb went on was when I first got in the mortgage business, I felt like a used car salesman because I was looking at it the wrong way. And I, I thought, well, you know, I'm not making a difference in young kids' lives. I'm not making an impact. What I failed to realize was you know, for first-time homebuyers, let's take them for example, I was helping them with the single biggest financial investment in their life at that time. Yeah. And there's a lot of purpose behind that. And there's a lot of, of impact that I was having. I didn't understand that back then. So I was, as I was in the recruiting industry, I loved the relationships I was developing. But from, you know, the second they were hired, that our candidates were hired, that was the end of my impact on those candidates. And I thought there's, there has to be more, and I always wanted to, to start a leadership organization. And then I sat down with a good friend of mine, and we came up with the brand, The Athletics of Business, which is the leadership mindset that the skills, traits, behaviors responsible for elite athletes and high-performing teams being so great are the same skills. You know, They're not just applicable in business and life. They're key to your success. So that's how it all sort of evolved and brought me to where we are today. I love it. Um, and, and I agree. I think that there's a lot of correlation between high-level athletes and high-level business people. And also you touched on um, taking people who were ex-military and staffing them. Have you ever, and this is a side note, have you ever read the book Extreme Ownership? I have not. Great book. You might really like okay. it. It talks about um, how you take um, – the lessons learned at leading a team of you know, the people who wrote the book, the two guys are Navy SEAL leaders, they're, they're team leaders, and they take the leadership lessons they learned and they translate it back into kind of a business setting. And it's an incredible awesome. book. Yeah. Uh, is there um, one big trait or multiple traits that you think have translated really well from your coaching as a athletics coach to a business coach? Well, I think there's a number of them. And, um, you know, you start with self-discipline. You know, I believe that, that self-discipline leads to self-control, okay, which leads to self-confidence, and then that's going to lead to self-realization. And, and self-discipline, not just in your work ethic, but in your thoughts, you know, and how you direct your thoughts and, and what approach and attitude you take every day. And what is, what, is your, what is your work ethic? How authentic are you? In other words, what is your honesty and integrity? Um, are you, are, do you have the ability to step outside your comfort zone and be vulnerable with your team? Are you selfless? Are you, are you a great teammate? Um, do you understand what your role is and do you do the most you possibly can to maximize your productivity and your, you know, the impact you make in that role? So I think, you know, in passion, uh, enthusiasm, uh, loyalty, you can go on and that resiliency, grit. Um, there's so many, um, to talk about. Um, and it, you can pick a new one each day and focus on it. And we actually, with some of my clients, what I'm working on right now is pick one trait 
okay, for this week, and let's work on it. Let's journal. Let's see how you do with that. Let's then next week pick another trait. So I think there's there's quite a bit um, of traits that you can pick from. And you and I touched a little bit when we spoke together about self-awareness, and it's one thing I, I tell people when I'm coaching them uh, in business. I say you have to be very self-aware. It's not just know what you know and know what you don't know. It's know who you are, know who you're not. And uh, you touched on that a little bit, and I love that. Uh, give us some thoughts about you know knowing uh, yourself and being self-aware, because I think that that is a big piece of being successful is just knowing who you are and you know uh, building off of that. I think, to me, self-awareness is a huge competitive advantage. And I think everything begins with self-awareness and having the ability to be honest with where you're at. You know, people ask me all the time, well, what exactly is it what, that you do? And the easiest way to explain it is I help people get really good at what it is they do. And in order to do that, you have to know where you are right now. All right, then let's figure out where you're going to get to, where you want to get to, and then what's the process. But before you increase your self-awareness, and not just your, your job skills, but your behavior skills, okay, and, and the way you manage your thoughts, uh, the way you respond to adversity, you know, do you grow through adversity or just get through adversity? So, and you have to, until you're really truthfully, brutally honest with yourself, you're never going to maximize your potential or, or realize the massive success that you're capable of. Yeah, and I think business is a humbling experience being an entrepreneur because it, it in some ways forces you, even if you don't want to be self-aware, business forces you to be aware of yourself. If you're not, you fail relatively quickly. Yeah, well, and, and self-awareness and failure are inevitable, so right. you have a choice. Are you going to embrace it? And are you going to figure right. things out and learn through it? Or are you going to keep fighting it and either be stagnant or move backwards yeah there's a uh, guy patrick bet david and i follow him on social media sometimes and he has a video and maybe i love it because there's a car in it and i'm a car guy <laughs> but it's a video that went viral and it's got i don't know like 10 million shares and he talks about you know most people look at the end product of a successful entrepreneur they don't look at all the failures all the hard times you know not having any money in your bank account and when he talks about that i instantly start thinking about most people don't see the failures and going back to sports i remember when i was a kid and i would lose at something i would be pissed i'd be really upset and it would ruin me for a week or two weeks or three weeks if we lost the game or lost something big or I did a lot of sports where it was a one-man sport. Martial arts is a one-man sport. You know, uh, auto racing, you have a team, but in a lot of sense, the, the, it falls back on you. And I would get really hard on myself. But I think as I've grown into being a business owner, I just I, I handle failure better. Do you think that's a big thing that, A, you can teach somebody, or is it something that you think just gets taught over time? You just become better at handling failures. Well, it there's a thousand learning points right there because yeah. I think absolutely you can teach people how to embrace failure uh, and learn from it. I think that's more one of the places as parents and as leaders of the youth today, we're failing miserably, um, giving trophies to everybody. Um, Participation I, I, you know, trophies. Yeah, particip you know, for basketball itself, you start talking about AAU, you play five games in an afternoon, you lose the first four, you win the fifth, let's go get ice cream. All right, you guys <laughs> yeah. are awesome. Um, I, I think you have to... I call it run into the fight, and you have to feel the pain, and it's good to feel it, and how are you going to respond to it? And when you fail, do you take a step back and, you know, in the business world or in life, do you really look at that feedback loop? And, and what is it that you figure out? You know, what do you do, need to do more of? What do you need to do less of? Um, what do you need to start doing, stop doing? Um, you know, things of that nature. And 
I think, you know, there's sometimes I take a step back, and, and, and Michael, I'm sure it's the same with you, where I am having just a brutal day, but I'm shocked by how well I'm actually handling it. And the fact that I'm not getting caught up in the emotion of it, it's like, okay, where do I go from here? You know, what do we do? What was I doing that's not working? And how quickly can we get this part turned around? So I don't think you ever stop um, getting better at failing. And I think you got to fail fast and, and fail early. Yeah, and if you're not failing, you're probably not trying hard enough to be successful. I tell people, you know, if you're kind of sheltering yourself and you're not if you're not trying really hard, you're probably, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You know, if you're trying hard enough at something, inevitably you're gonna fail. And I think that for me has been the biggest thing is I've just become better at failing at things and then moving on quickly and learning the lesson. How about you? Because I'll, I'll bring you in too. This is gonna be a round table discussion a little bit. Any, any thoughts on the whole failing? And Have you become better at failing? You know, I fail every, I fail my wife every Tuesday morning <laughs> when I forget to bring the garbage out. I was going to so say, what I, happens I, on Tuesday mornings? I'm very accustomed to it. Um, my, my first business venture was a total failure. I think it really tests you as an individual. Everybody's going to fail. Nothing is perfect. How you overcome that, how you're able to embrace it and really dissect it and take the valuable data from it, I really think is a testament to you as a leader uh, or, or as an individual. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. If, if, uh, if, if you don't get good at failing, it's going to be a total disaster because you, you, you have to learn how to overcome and persevere and, and work through it and adjust a, a strategy. And, and uh, every day there's a thousand different things that change. Nothing goes as planned, and, and uh, <coughs> you have to, to really um, stay the course and, and, and persevere it and, and not take it personally. Yeah. Ed, um, when was, was there a time where you thought, I definitely want to be an entrepreneur, this is something I want to do? Was it something that when you were a kid you were thinking about it or did you kind of naturally kind of progress into the kind of entrepreneur role that you're in now? I think it was, it was something early on, even when I was coaching. I mean, really, truth be told, back then in the 90s, as a, as a young college basketball coach, you were always looking for a way to make an extra dollar, whether it was travel around, work at basketball camps, whether it was selling something on the side, whatever side hustle it was. And truth be told, in, the, in, in that world of recruiting, you have to have an entrepreneurial mindset in terms of the way you get creative, uh, your work ethic, um, it's all or nothing. And truth be told, outside of coaching, every position I held, I was 100% commission. So whether it was in a mortgage business, whether it was when I was in a partner in the recruiting firm, I either produced or I didn't get paid. And right. that, was, that was the bottom line. And that was a great lesson for me, and that prepared me for going into the entrepreneurial world. And, and that's, that's one of the things I tell realtors, and I know we have a lot of realtors listening, and, and, and they're business people in a sense, and mortgage people too. We have a lot of mortgage people listening. That's tough going and doing the kind of the full-time 100% commission. I, I, I tell everybody business in general, it's 100% commission. You either make it or you don't. You don't have a paycheck. So when you were growing up and, and you got into you know coaching college basketball and, and you realized this is going to end up being 100% commission-based, were there times you were like, shoot, I'm going to go back and get another job because this is starting to get too tough? Or was it just I gritted forward and that get grit kept you going? Well, yeah, absolutely. The first day in the mortgage business when they held, handed me a financial calculator and here's your phone and fake it till you make it. I mean, I'm so old, we didn't even have you know, our own laptops given to old. us. You know? So, um, yeah, there are times. I mean, there are times when what am I doing? You know, I've spent my whole life knowing something and I took this 
this complete leap of faith that this is going to work out because you start looking at the shiny object syndrome. And I think the big thing was I was looking at the end game. I was looking at the mountaintop all the time trying to figure out, okay, that's going to be great when I get there. You know, it was always the one day instead of day one. And what I wasn't really focusing in on was, okay, what do I have to do next? You know, and, and what's, where am I at in this process? And when I got away from that thought process, it was, this is absolutely nuts, you know, yeah. and, it, and there's a lot of frustrations and you had to get used to um, the first few months, the Monday morning meetings, the Friday morning meetings when they hand out the awards or they talk about um, what somebody did this week. It wasn't going to be how many loans I closed. It was going to be how many pre-approvals I did or things of that nature. So I had to, I had to come up with my own metrics so I could celebrate some little victories so I didn't get overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, I'm not making any money right now. I want to go back a little bit to talking about those participation trophies because I agree with you. I think um, the whole idea of like the snowflake society yeah. now, where where everybody gets a trophy and everybody wins, I think you know I think that's crap too. Mm -hmm. I think you know there's winners, there's losers, but you know you can't make somebody feel like, oh yeah, you got last place, but that's a win. I don't I don't think that's right. What do you think the change has to be for that? You think we just got to completely get away from that? What do you think the byproduct of that's going to be? In terms of the participation trophies. Yeah. Like well, I, I mean, if you start talking about participation uh, participation trophies in youth, what I think is a great thing to do is, okay, you, you, you participated, all right? We're going to give you an award, but on the back of that award, so say it's a medal. Let's just use that as an example. On the back of that is going to be our culture. Okay, it's going to be our, our core values of our program. So in other words, when that, when that kid, when that boy or girl goes from nine, all of a sudden they find it in a box when they're 13 years old, they look on the back and they say, you know what, somehow that stuck with me. And to me, I think those are the lessons we need to be teaching these kids. Like you talked about how bad it hurt when you lost, you know. Now in the business world, it hurts when you lose, but you better respond. You better bounce back pretty quick. Right. Okay, because that's that's your livelihood that you're living. And, you know, Michael, there's people depending on you, like you said, to feed their families. So those are lessons that we need to instill at a younger age. Now, in the workforce, and it's funny how it is with some of the, when I do on-site or off-site corporate training, I'll sit down with some folks and talk to them. And there is an absolute correlation between people that are struggling, younger people that are struggling in the business world that struggling, that struggled early handling failure and um, learning those lessons at an early age. Um, you know, everyone talks about, hey, do what you have a passion for. Do what you, I mean, you talked about when you started your real estate, um, when you started your attorney, your law firm, okay? You didn't have a passion to sit there and take cases for $50. That's not what you, no, not but you know what? You, everything you did had a purpose, and I think that's where we miss it. I think we need to get back to having a singleness of purpose um, with our team and with us as individuals and what we do and what we stand for. Um, and, and to me, that's where you have to start with the, with the youth. I love that. The, the having a purpose, you're right. And, and I think in the moment I didn't even realize like, Oh, I'm thinking I have a purpose. I just realized in that moment, I don't have much of a choice. And I think I've realized as time has gone on a lot, like, uh, you know, Michael said, and you said, um, a lot of people do rely on me and I have a purpose now. And I think I've kind of fallen into that and the self-awareness over time, I've become much more self-aware. I think in that moment when I realized like $35,000 job offer, $37,000 job offer going into law school, I said, I just, I don't love it. I don't have a passion for it. I'm not going to do it, but I have to do something now. I'm stuck here. The job market was terrible in 2009. I just got after it. But I think if you can learn having a purpose early on, you're way ahead of the game then. Way, well, way ahead. And what you did was awesome because you didn't settle. 
I mean, you could have settled and you could have been comfortable and know, okay, these are the dues I have to pay. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to follow, um, you know, it's like Michael would talk about getting out of your job, out of corporate America and taking that leap as your wife was at her last ultrasound, which, by the way, takes some courage. Um, yeah, a lot yeah, of Yeah, that wouldn't work real well for me. Really? I thought the word was stupidity, but courage is a much better uh, word. We don't know each other. Brave. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, and that's that's the thing. You don't want to settle. You you want to have a purpose. You need to do what it what it takes, um, and and that is kind of the guiding force. And I, and I think early on, that's why I always tell people fail early at a new endeavor, because the sooner you do it, the sooner you realize you start building your resiliency and your grit, and you have more lessons to pull from, and 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 you know layers underneath you, um, the better you're going to be. Yeah, I love that, and the. So another quote you just reminded me, there's a guy, Tommy Choi, great agent, shout out to Tommy. I've heard him say, fail forward. So if you're going to fail, go forward from that. Don't go backwards. You know, when you're failing, um, make sure you learn from it, go forward with it. Don't let the failure then drag you backwards. Um, and yes, that was brave, maybe a little crazy, but brave. Um, you look like a reasonably fit guy, and you were a, an athlete, a, a college athlete, and you played uh, sports at a high level. A uh, little different topic. Do you do anything outside of your busy, busy life to kind of just blow off steam, be able to stay fit, and just you know keep things going? You know, a lot like Michael, I'm a, I'm a daddy. That's my number one job. I love it. I have a five-and-a-half-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and, three and, um, and they keep me going. Um, everything I do, it's either, it's either work or family. Um, we do triathlons, um, do that. Um, but it's just my, you know, if it comes between, there's times literally like this morning, I was working on something before I took off for the city and my daughter says, daddy, you know, can we play a game of checkers? And I look at my watch and I literally was two seconds away from using the excuse that you have to leave in like three minutes, honey, we don't have time to, I just stopped, you know, that's all, that's all there is, you know, and I, that's all that matter was that game of checkers to her. So that's basically, my life is real simple. Work the kids and, you know, get ready for a triathlon. I love that. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I think I'm poor at it. And I think you guys may have just learned by having kids. And the day I have kids, I think I'm going to have to learn that. I'm very bad at time management. So if I get home, I'm constantly still involved in my business and I, I can't, unplug and walk away from it. I've been terrible at it. Do you feel like the kids were kind of the driving force to become good at that? Or have you always been kind of the guy who can just kind of turn that off for a second and take your attention to something else? You know, and this, it's funny. And that leads me into a little story about my kids and, and, you know, people think that your kids change you. Okay. And they do to an extent, but you need to be very intentional about it and conscientious of it. And I remember when um, our daughter was born, um, I was going through some major struggles and I made a conscious decision that she's never going to see me like this. This is, you know, she'll know my story. She'll hear my story from me when the time is right, but she's never going to, um, see me struggle. So I was very intentional about the changes I, I made in my life. And part of that was, um, balance. And part of that was, um, who I was at, at the core of my being, what I was focusing on. And as I've gotten more and more successful with the business, time, energy, and attention management is a big piece of my teaching uh, to my clients. And we talked about this a couple days ago. The most important thing is any activity I have during the day, whatever I'm doing, if it's not moving me closer to my goals or my vision and what I'm trying to achieve, then I'm not doing them anymore. 
I mean, that's just the way Smart. it is. Now, does that mean that I don't sit in my chair at 1030 at night and, and watch a rerun? No, that doesn't mean that because you need that sometimes. You need to decompress. Uh, does it mean I don't go on vacation? No, that's not what it means. But everything I do is moving me closer towards the vision I have for our family, the vision I have for the business, and what goals I have set. I love that. And Michael, kind of similar question to you because you're a busy guy as well. Did you find that, you know, kind of unplugging from the business and giving attention to the family was something that came easy or were you able to do it only because, hey, I got kids and a wife now and I have to unplug. I have to give them 100% attention. Yeah, I think it's easy. Um, I think it's imperative on the business side to be able to stop and, and decompress so that, that you can um, have balance, which we talked about earlier. I have different hobbies in my life. I, I, in, I, I, in the middle of the day, I stop. I do breathing exercises and, and, and meditation. Um, you know, I, I walk and, and, and I play a lot of golf and, and I'm into cars and, and have, I love everything that flies and, and moves. And yeah, you're like I, me. It's important to have these, other than being a, a chauffeur to birthday parties all yeah. weekend long, um, it's, it's important to have that personal time. You know, otherwise, you, you, you can't give what's needed to your family. You can't give what's needed to your business. Um, and, and so, you know, each little area of your life is, is dependent on you, you having that time to yourself, whether it's to, to think or decompress or exercise um, or, or do something fun. And, and, and I think that when you look at people have, who have been super successful either in their personal lives or in their, their businesses, it, you don't have to give up one, or, one to do the other. It's a misconception that a lot of young people think you, you literally have to give everything up. You don't. You, you have to figure out how to have that balance, which allows you to achieve a higher level of success in all of those areas. So you have to have, you have, to have a strategy, and you have to prioritize things. And, and you know, every, every day I've got a list of things I want to accomplish throughout that day. Now, 8 million things change, and it may be one or two, but you have to have a plan. And you have to have a strategy, and, and so it's, it's just like in sports. It, it's training yourself. It's that muscle memory, and if you're, you're not good at, at stopping and being able to turn it off, you, you teach yourself that, and it may be hard at first, and, and, uh, but in the long run, it's going to be good for you. So um, that, that's, I was never great at that, and, and look, there's times at 1 in the morning where, where I'm sitting there catching up on work or I don't sleep for three days or whatever the case may be, and, and balance isn't a minute-to-minute thing. Sure. Uh, or a day-to-day -day thing or, or a week-to-week -week thing. So, so sometimes it's, it's you know, 60-20-20. Uh, it's not always equal, but, but it flushes out in, in the end. Do you time block? I do. Um, you know, one of the, the things that I, I did previously, and I get, I don't know, three, four hundred emails a day. You're like me too. Uh, I used to be, I would respond within, you know, four seconds. Uh, I'm still pretty good about it, but now I've organized my day where at this time I read. It's important to read materials and see what's going on in the world and, and gather data, whether whether it's it's cranes or, or, or business materials or, or reading a book about leadership. I, I have time set aside for that. I have different times, you know, it's, it's four different times really throughout the day 
where I try to catch up on email and, and I'll go through and skim and, and things that are emergency I, I can address and things that can wait, I, I reorganize that. But um, I, I think it's, it's uh, having dealt with a lot of people in a lot of industries. And, and look, you know, our, our company, Infuse Hospitality, it's amazing. I'm meeting with owners and, and CEOs of, of Fortune 500 companies with unbelievable brands, and I get an inside look at, the, at their culture and their organization, which is super fun. Uh, and I've picked up a couple things along the yeah. way. So it, it's uh, just like you were saying, if you don't know where you're going, how you're going to get there, and what's in it for you or, or your team and, and everybody else, you're lost. So whether that strategy is a 10-year plan, a one-year plan, or, or what you're going to do in the next hour, uh, you got to have some kind of plan. Do you plan your days too, Ed? Is it, I, I do. Actually, I'm, I'm really, really intentional about that. It's So every Sunday night what I'll do is I'll write down all my, my weekly meetings, my weekly objectives, my weekly tasks, and I, I do stick them into a value matrix. So, you know, everyone gives Stephen Covey, Dr. Stephen Covey credit for it, and I love them. It's, one, it's actually the first business book I read in college that absolutely resonated with me, The Seven Habits. But it was actually Dwight Eisenhower's decision-making matrix from – um, you know, his day, uh, that's actually responsible for that. So I plug it in, um, into, uh, their different quadrants. So, you know, quadrant one, important and urgent, you know, um, important, not urgent. If it's in three or four, I, get, I delegate or get rid of it. And I'm very intentional about that. And then I plug it into my week and every morning I wake up and you, know, you have your routine. So, you know, you read, you meditate, you journal and then start my day. And I, I, because of the, the pursuit of balance, get up at 4.30 so I can get a couple hours in before the kids get up and because I want to be present when the kids get up and I have that one hour of the day with them before they go off to school. And um, I, I do that, but at the end of each day, I try to be really good with this. I try to shut down at the same, you know, not at the same time, but I try to when I'm done for the day, even if it's at 10.30 at night, I try to have something where I shut my laptop and that's it. That's my routine. I review my, my next day and I make any adjustments, any adjustments necessary because so much changes. Um, so I'm very intentional about that. And what I do with the time block is I time block during different periods of the day. Cause what I have found, I'm really good when I'm, when my my brain is fried from either I'm writing content or I just got done coaching someone and did the notes. I'll take about 20, 30 minutes and I'll just get after emails and I'll just respond because what you're doing is you're constantly getting small victories of getting back to people and doing what you said you're going to do and probably putting out a couple fires or making progress on something that you're working on. So that's really the structure of, of my days. I love that. I have kind of a hybrid of you two guys. I, you, I get a lot of emails every day too. And you can only respond to so many of them in real time. So before I go to sleep, I have a ritual where I'm shutting down. This is a very recent thing for me. I shut down and my good buddies are going to make fun of me for this in a second. I'm going to get teased. I take an Epsom salt bath. So I'll read. I'll read something in there. I'll listen because it shuts me down because I work out late. Then I take the bath. It shuts me down so I can go to sleep. But I'll respond to everybody's email. I'll go back to 12 o'clock, midnight the night before and respond to everybody that I missed. You know, Minus the junk mail, I'll respond to everybody. And I read something from 
Mark Cuban, he said, you know, when people say they're not procrastinators, they're full of yeah, crap. Procrastinators. Because humans in general are natural procrastinators. But what he said really helped him was if it's a task, not like responding to an email, but if it's a task that takes less than five minutes to do and he's got five minutes, he gets it done. He said whether it's putting stuff in the laundry or taking something out, if it's less that he looks at a task, says is it less than five minutes, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it, get it out of the way. Otherwise it's gonna pile up and then I have this big list of things. So I started doing that and I write down five big things I have to do the next day right before I go to sleep. But I love that on Sunday planning because I don't do that. I do that kind of the night before, but a lot of times um, I end up with obligations that I don't think move me towards where I want to go that I could probably get rid of throughout my week if I did that on Sunday. But I got kind of a hybrid of those two things. But I respond to everybody's emails before I go to sleep. That's my ritual. You know what I found with the Sunday planning as well? I used to do it Sunday night all the time, but it, with the kids and everything, it gets away. I'll do it Sunday morning, so then the rest of the day, it, it's it's just all about family. Sunday's the one day I don't compromise, so if I get up early before everybody else, I'll knock that out, and then the rest of the day, I'm all theirs. Do you sleep six hours, eight hours? Is that like a... I'm not real proud of my sleep. Um you know, I, if I get five, six hours a night, I'm good. But I just getting up, I need to have a couple hours to myself at the beginning yeah. of the day and at the end of the day. And that just, that gives me peace of mind. Yeah, I'm a six, five, six hour guy too. How about you? Pretty much the same. Same. But just to go back for a moment. So Mark Cuban does a lot of his own laundry. Uh, well, I, th I think he meant like do it quickly. Well, he wears you know the same thing every day. Yeah, he wears one. He probably has a thousand versions of that same outfit. Yeah. He just yeah, well, it's decision fatigue. It if you really listen to those guys talk, it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, one of my mentors, Todd Herman, talks about it. It's decision fatigue. You know what you're going to wear. Yeah. It's one less thing you, you have to spend mental energy on that day. Steve Jobs was like that too. I think Bill Gates is Mark Cuban dresses a little bit better than Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah. Though. Steve Jobs yeah. in his turtleneck and one <laughs> color didn't dress so well. Mark Cuban's... Uh, um, yeah, he dresses a little bit better. But yeah, he's, you know, that less than five minutes do it now has really helped me because I always found myself to be a procrastinator. And I, I used to frown on myself for being a procrastinator and reading that most people generally procrastinate small tasks made me A, feel better that I'm not a procrastinator, everybody is, but B, made me a lot more aware of it. Going back to self-awareness, I said, okay, I'm putting this thing off. Let me just get it out of the way. Otherwise, it's going to come back and drive me nuts later. How about you? Six, you said five, six hours of sleep. Is, are you a morning person or a night person? Both. Both? You know, it, it's, um, I, I love my work. Um, it, it's, it's, it's hard to stop. Um, you know, it, 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 five to six hours is plenty for me to be able to, to refuel. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the average. It's funny. I was watching a video a little while back of Arnold Schwarzenegger and somebody, he said somebody had told him, you know, well, I need eight hours of sleep. He was talking about people working a full-time job and then starting their side hustle or their, or their new business in the afternoons or evenings. And he said, well, I need eight hours of sleep. And he goes, well, sleep faster. And he's like, yeah. you can sleep in six <laughs> hours. You're fine. Um, and I always thought, I actually used to personal train a sleep doctor. And what he had said, and I'm sure he's right because he's a doctor, was that we switch sleep cycles it's at i think on average at hour three and then hour six and then after eight or nine it's it's the same sleep cycle so what he was saying was a lot of times if you wake up at six hours you feel more fresh than seven or five versus uh if you're going to sleep two hours maybe sleep three or if you're going to sleep four sleep three as well because you're very close to the switch of the sleep cycle so you wake up feeling more fresh right. so random trip 
tip from him. And I think John's giving me the signal that we've actually hit an hour. I could probably talk with you guys for three more hours and we got a ton of topics. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to have you guys back on again. Thank you so much for coming out. I learned a ton from just talking to you guys before the show and then today. You guys are definitely two guys I want to link up with uh, after the show is done. Just real quick announcement because we do um, look out for the charities that we are trying to push, and uh, we will get some more information about your charity because it's something I definitely want to push here on Wheelhouse. Thanks, and John's shaking his head yes as well. We we want to be passionate about things that you guys are passionate about. Um, but the Real Estate Rumble is in like five weeks. Tonight at Bottle Blonde from 5 to 8.30 is the weigh-in. If you guys want to come to Bottle Blonde, have a couple drinks, watch a couple fighters, find out who they're fighting, either get scared or talk a whole lot of crap, show up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Ryan Cotter, if you're watching, I don't know if you are. I am not fighting in it this year. He keeps trying to get me to fight in it with five weeks' notice. Not going to happen, buddy. Um, thanks again, guys, for tuning into our second live show. This has become a blast for me. I can't wait till next week, Wednesday at 3 o'clock. John and I are going to be back hosting our third live show um, next week on the 25th. And uh, we'll see you guys then. In three, two, one.